The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Medea, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. Welcome to Forever Fab, a podcast dedicated to fashion, the art of living well, and all things beauty. I'm your host, Dr. Shirley Madair, your purveyor of this definitive source of living a beautiful life. Welcome back to part two, wellness for your good. Let's call to mind the dimensions of wellness. It is one of my favorite constructs. And there are various definitions of the dimensions of wellness, but one that I appreciate in particular is by Ohio State University. And so there are nine dimensions of wellness. One, emotional wellness. And that's when you're able to identify, express, and manage the entire range of feelings and would consider seeking assistance to address any areas of concern. Two, career wellness. You engage in work to gain personal satisfaction and enrichment, and you are consistent with values, goals, and lifestyle in that career. Number three, social wellness. The socially well person has a network of support based on interdependence, mutual trust, and respect and has developed a sensitivity and awareness towards the feeling of others. Number four, spiritual wellness. The spiritually well person seeks harmony and balance by openly exploring the depth of human purpose, meaning, and connection through dialogue and self-reflection. Number five, physical wellness. The physically well person gets an adequate amount of sleep. (laughs) An adequate amount of sleep eats a balanced and nutritious diet, engages in exercise for exercise for 150 minutes per week. Oh boy. Oh. Attends regular medical checkups and practices safe and healthy sexual relations. Number six, financial wellness. The financially well person is fully aware of his or her financial state and budgets, saves, and manages finances in order to achieve realistic and maybe aspirational goals. Number eight, creative wellness. The creatively well person values and actively participates in a diverse range of arts and cultural experiences as a means to understand and appreciate the surrounding world. Intellectual wellness. The intellectually well person values lifelong learning and seeks to foster critical thinking, develop moral reasoning, and expand worldviews, as well as engage in education for the pursuit of knowledge. And finally, number nine, environmental wellness. 
the environmentally well person recognizes the responsibility to preserve, protect, and improve the environment and appreciates the interconnectedness of nature and human beings. What are the benefits of adhering to all of these wellness therapies and to even paying attention to and trying to incorporate the dimensions of wellness in your own life? Well, there are many benefits of wellness and some of them are to reduce health risks, to lose weight, to reduce healthcare costs, to improve productivity, increase your mental clarity, improve your outlook. Now, if you had all of these in check and they were all on a checklist and you were able to check all of those, what would that do for you? How would your life change? Would it be the same? Would it be better? Would it be transformed in some way? If you were well in as many aspects or in as many of these dimensions as you could possibly muster, how would that change your life? My story into wellness is um, an interesting one. For many years, I would say that I was medically and physically healthy. But seven or eight years ago, I started to develop some gut issues. I had this just constant, boring, dull, achy pain in my you know, upper abdomen area. And being a physician, I self-treated, of course. I tried not eating. I tried fasting. That helped a little bit, but the pain was still there. I tried eating. I tried eating differently, and that didn't help at all. The pain was still there. I tried exercising. I tried taking different medications. None of that helped. So finally, I succumbed, and I said, okay, I've got to go to the doctor. <laughs> so I called up one of my colleagues, and he happens to be an excellent gastroenterologist. And I made an appointment and acted like a regular patient. I went and I waited in the waiting room. I waited for someone to call my name, Shirley Madare, all the way across the room so that everybody in the waiting room could hear. And I went humbly to the desk and gave them my insurance information. Finally got to see the physician. And of course, after an evaluation, we had to order some tests. So I underwent not only fast, so to speak, uh, but then one of those gut cleanses, whoo, and uh, underwent an upper and lower endoscopy. Is that too much information for a podcast? <laughs> but anyway, I underwent these tests, and lo and behold, thankfully, there was nothing serious, but I had a wake-up call. I had something called gastritis, and probably the early stages of an ulcer, and um, when they tested the tissue around the ulcer, um, it was negative for a bacterium called Helicobacter pylori. So I couldn't even take antibiotics to fix my situation. In essence, I had to chill out. I had to manage my stress. I had to eat better. I had to get those acid levels down. So that was the beginning of my wellness journey. And once I had that wake-up call, I thought, well, if, you know, if stress was able to do that to my gastrointestinal system, which is where a significant portion of our and my immunity lie, I thought, oh, I must be doing other things to my body. So I just went on crazy research and I looked into nutrition and wellness therapies and meditation and medications and herbs and alternative therapies, complementary therapies. And this was not an internet 
MD. <laughs> this was real life, dedicated soul searching and researching, going to the library, speaking to professionals. And ultimately what I learned was that there were some changes that I had to incorporate that they primarily included nutrition and changing my diet and my lifestyle and stress management. And when I underwent my follow-up, yes, with repeating both of those tests, everything was significantly improved. So for me personally, as well as at least academically, based on the research that I've done, there's definitely a role for wellness therapies in combination with any medical therapies, if necessary, and if your condition deems. So I'm going to focus on a few of the wellness therapies that helped me. In addition to yoga and Pilates, I happen to explore a couple of other therapies and I'll discuss them briefly here. One of them is called halotherapy or halotherapy. And when I was looking into why I was so stressed, believe me, there were lots of reasons why I was stressed, but one of them was that I live in the city, in New York City, and that can be a very busy, lovely place, but sometimes a bit toxic. And in addition to the different activities and types of people and experiences that you have in a very metropolitan, cosmopolitan city, there are lots of noises that can accompany those experiences. So I was living in the city and I recognized that my sleep was disruptive. I wasn't sleeping well. I'm a very light sleeper. My surgical training has trained me to be a light sleeper and to be able to get up at a moment's notice at the drop of a pin. So the sirens at two o'clock in the morning, the jackhammers at five o'clock in the morning, the dogs barking or the people yelling at each other on the streets at six o'clock in the morning, that all led to disruptive sleep. So I went on a mission to try to find what non-chemical means I could use to help myself to sleep better. I also like to have unencumbered sleep. So I don't like anything in my ears. I don't like anything over my head. I don't like, you know, rubber bands in my hair. I just like to be free when I sleep. So I had read that halo therapy could improve your sleep patterns or at least could help you sleep better. So I did my research and I read about it and I recognized that, you know, the scientific data was equivocal or anecdotal and there wasn't necessarily any hard science behind it. But I also didn't think that it would be significantly risky. And again, at this point, sleep is so important to your life that I just wanted to try it. So what is it exactly? Halotherapy involves breathing salty air, and it's usually Himalayan salt. The benefits are that it allegedly improves asthma, allergies, respiratory issues, smoking symptoms, anxiety, psoriasis, eczema, and acne. Once I read that it may potentially improve acne, you had me. I was in. I was all in. The potential risks, however, are that there have been some reports that it could actually cause respiratory irritation. So you're breathing in the salty air, it may irritate your lungs. And if it irritates your lungs, if you have asthma, it could exacerbate or make your asthma worse. And some people have also reported having a headache after they've had that kind of therapy. So where does one do this sort of salt therapy? It depends on the type. There can be wet and there can be dry. 
Now, interestingly enough, wet just means mixing the salt with water. And these are things that you can do at home, like nasal irrigation, gargling with salt water, sitting in a sitz bath, or sitting in a flotation tank. But the one that is touted as having potential benefits, at least on your respiratory system, and perhaps acne, acne, is dry halotherapy. And that's where you go into a salt cave. And the salt cave is basically a room with zero humidity where they keep the temperature about 68-ish degrees. So it's a little on the cool side. And you sit there, relax, perhaps meditate, read a book. And uh, you sit there for anywhere from 30 to 50 minutes. And then that's it. You walk out and then you see what happens. So my experience took place at Salt House in New York City on the Upper East Side, and they were absolutely lovely, and it was a beautiful space. So I sat there, I meditated for about 20 minutes, and then I set my timer, and when the 20 minutes were over, I read, and then I read some emails, and then my 50 minutes were over. And I didn't necessarily feel a particular way. I didn't have any irritation. I didn't feel a sense of euphoria either. But I went home and then, or actually I went about the rest of my day and uh, then went home, had dinner and went to sleep. I slept so well that night. It was awesome. Now, other sleep aids that I use are a diffuser. I use an essential oil diffuser. I have blackout shades. And um, I also use, you know, a deep sleep rubbing oil so that as I inhale it, I just hopefully float into a beautiful la-la sleep land. So I'm not sure if it was one of those therapies or a combination, but I slept very well after my salt cave experience. So conclusion, it worked for me. I still go once or twice a month, and you may want to look into it. Another therapy that helped me a lot, and I consider this one of the main fundamental things that I am very mindful and cognizant of on a daily basis, and that's nutrition. And I already told you the story about my GI distress or my gastrointestinal distress and how changing my diet absolutely saved my life, or at least saved my gut. And also, just eating well is consistent with my philosophy, my philosophy in plastic surgery, my philosophy on life, my philosophy on health and wellness, and that that is beauty definitely is an inside-out game. You have to pay attention to what's on the outside, but you also have to completely pay attention, if not more so, on what's going on on the inside because they complement each other inside and out, vice versa. There are so many diets out there I think there are too many diets out there, but which, which one is right for you? I'm not really sure I can help answer that question. I can only tell you what worked for me and some of the things, some of the basic tenets that I abide by. During my research over the past several years and when I was going through my little situation, one of the schools or the programs that I came across was the Institute of Integrative Nutrition or IIN. And there were two things that I learned, among other things, from IIN, and one of them was the 80-20 rule. And that's basically what I try to live by. 80% of the time you eat well, you eat cleanly, you do your body good, and 20% of the time you go ham, not necessarily eating ham, I don't eat pork, but you just love your, let yourself be free, and you, and you eat what you eat, and you love what you eat, and you, and you just enjoy it. 
because I certainly don't believe in completely 100% depriving yourself of some of the foods that you love, even though a few of those foods may not be that great for you. But as long as you know how to balance that and you keep it in check and you know what to do, that you need to run an extra mile or take an extra exercise class the following day or the day after, so be it. Another one of the concepts that I learned was that of crowding out. So this helps when you are actually, you've made the decision to improve your diet or to change your nutrition. And this may actually actually help you to do that. And crowding out basically involves eating more and more of the good foods so that you have less and less time or appetite for the foods that don't serve you. Another part of my research involved looking into various diets, the Mediterranean diet, the Miami diet, this diet, that diet. I also came across the blood type diet by Drs. Diadamo. And for me, this resonated significantly. It was interesting that as I was looking at the list of foods that corresponded to my blood type and the ones that I supposedly was to avoid, it was interesting that there were many of them that I didn't like anyway. So it was an easy transition for me to go from eat whatever I wanted to eat to following this blood type diet. And when I did, things changed even more significantly. At one time, I was diagnosed loosely, but diagnosed with rosacea. It was like what we call, what physicians call the diagnosis of exclusion because I couldn't figure out what was going on with my face. My physician and dermatologist couldn't figure out they couldn't figure out what was going on with my face. It was like, oh yeah, well, I exercise, I get a little red every once in a while, I get a little irritated, I may eat something and I may get more inflamed acne. Yeah, that it must be rosacea. I was so dissatisfied with having a diagnosis and having that sort of, well, we don't know what else it is. It looks like this, it smells like this, it could be this. I was so dissatisfied that I just had to dig deeper. Interestingly enough, once I changed my nutrition, I no longer had any of those skin issues. So for me, the blood type diet was the way to go. That doesn't mean that it will work for you because ultimately I believe that the best diet will be the one that matches your genetics and your epigenetics. But even though we have a few tests to be able to begin to look at that question, we certainly don't have all the answers. That testing is just not widely available. And if it is beginning to become available, it is kind of expensive. So we don't have all the answers yet. Again, you'll have to do your own research or consult with your physician and your nutritionist and figure out what works best for you at a particular time. Now, what about intermittent fasting? Eating sometimes, not eating sometimes, what's it for? Why do people do it? What is it exactly? What are the pros and what are the cons? Well, there are several types of intermittent fasting. One type of intermittent fasting is called fasting within a daily window. And that's the most popular. So basically, you would eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, for example, but then you only would fast or not eat between 7 p.m. and maybe 7 a.m. when you woke up. Another type is called alternate days fasting, and that an example of that is the 5-2 fast, where you eat normally for five days, and then you cut your caloric intake significantly, and you eat only a quarter of your calories for the last two days. Another type is called skipping a meal. And I didn't realize I was doing that, but I was doing that. I'm not a huge breakfast person. I wake up in the morning, I have a cup of tea. At most, I'll have a piece of fruit. But generally speaking, after my cup of tea, I'm kind of done until lunch. 
So that's called skipping a meal, intermittent fasting. Then there's fat fasting. And then there's the warrior diet, which is another type of intermittent fasting where you eat a small amount of fruits and vegetables and proteins like yogurt or whey protein every few hours. And then you eat one very large meal within the last four hours of your evening. Another type of intermittent fasting is 24-hour fasting. And basically you don't eat from one meal, which is breakfast, lunch, or dinner, to the same meal on the next day. And then the last type of intermittent fasting is only eating when you're hungry. And that's interesting that it's considered intermittent fasting because frankly, all it is is listening to your body. Eat when you're hungry. Snack when you're a little hungry or you feel that you need, you know, a pick-me-up for energy, but not just eating just because. So the conclusion about nutrition as a wellness therapy is that I believe it to be powerful, transformative, and fundamental. But if you are going to make changes to your nutrition, be cautious. If you don't have all of the information, such as your blood type or your DNA, please consult with a professional. Another therapy of wellness that helped me significantly was meditation. So as I mentioned previously, I was stressed. So my career was stressful. My social life was stressful. Um, there was a lot going on and I had to figure out ways to improve my stress and just live a better life holistically. So what exactly is meditation? It's a practice where you use a technique to train your mind to achieve a mentally clear and emotionally calm state. The benefits of meditation are abundantly known. And some of the benefits that I curated from healthline.com and also liveanddare.com are numerous, and they include reducing stress, controlling anxiety, increasing emotional intelligence, increasing self-awareness, reducing age-related memory loss, generating kindness, may help addiction, improving sleep, reducing pain, improving immunity, improving self-esteem, improving, improving resilience, improving your mood, and the list goes on. Are there any risks to meditation? I found this surprising. I had to uh, do quite a bit of a Google search to find the risks of meditation because for the most part, there are very few, if any, risks, but I did find some. And they include headache, anxiety, panic attacks, insomnia, and others. Now, I find this tremendously interesting because these are the things that meditation are supposed to help. But nonetheless, there are a couple of websites that list them as risks. Okay, well, what are the types of meditation? They too are numerous. And the meditation practice that I learned and I'm, I attempt to practice <laughs> twice a day, not so good at that, is transcendental meditation. And the president of the David Lynch Foundation is uh, Bob Roth, and he is the premier meditation leader or premier meditation teacher of transcendental meditation. Now, there are other types of meditation, and those include moving meditation, uh, mindfulness, loving kindness, mantra, kijong, um, self-guided, and of course, there are the religious types of meditation, which are Christian, Buddhist, Sufi, um, Chinese, Taoist, etc. So there are many different types of meditation, but what they all have in common is that they all attempt to achieve 
or help you achieve a more calm and focused state. So, in summary, there are many different types of wellness therapies. It's really important for you to do your research, do a self-assessment, figure out exactly where you are and what you need. And once you do that, seek the proper guidance and professional help to figure out what, if any, wellness therapy will suit you at the particular time that you are seeking. And that brings us to this week's Fab Five. This week's Fab Five are number one, please consider proper nutrition as your first line of defense and therapy. Number two, contemplate incorporating a meditation technique into your life. Number three, seek professional advice and guidance when exploring various wellness techniques, especially when they involve high impact exercise or nutritional changes. Number four, recognize that not every therapy is meant for everyone. And number five, maintain healthy exercise routines as your baseline. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Fab Five. Until next time, stay beautiful inside and out. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty, curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD. Live beautifully and help make the world a more beautiful place.